the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, once again, we greet you uh, for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. In Orlando, Florida, once again, Alan Dempsey, engineers with great dexterity, and uh, Andrew Herdliska produces our show. Uh, David Gashu joins me uh, from Atlanta. He is the pastor at First Baptist Church, Decatur, Georgia, director of the Center for Theology and Public Life at Mercer University, and author of a letter to my anxious Christian friends, David, wonderful to hook up with you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Pat. Glad to be with you. What's the title of that book mean? The book was was written um, in the late fall of 2015, mm-hmm. early in 2016, as the presidential campaign was heating up. And uh, I was already sensing uh, a great deal of anxiety in the land, um, and that Anxiety was going to be a major uh, factor in the election. Um, uh, religious anxiety on the part of Christians, uh, economic anxiety, uh, anxiety over security, um, other kinds of anxiety. And I was trying to say that anxiety, however real it is and whatever the reasons for it, is not the best starting place for Christians to think about their public life and their civic and uh, patriot, you might say patriotic responsibilities. Your first chapter, America, who are we, question mark, uh, what's the answer there? Well, one of the things I was trying to do in that chapter was to say um, uh, there's a narrative of American decline that is um, abroad in the land, and I wanted to to say, hey, you know, we, we, shouldn't, um, we shouldn't overplay that. While we, while we have certainly a number of challenges, we also have a number of intrinsic advantages uh, and blessings as a country that that are hard to, I mean, hard to deny. You know, uh, the vastness of our of our territory, the the relative security behind two oceans, um, friendly neighbors to the north and south, uh, our um, economic strength, um, our the strength of our political system, uh, the oldest democracy in the world, um, the uh, the layers of population that have enriched us over the centuries, uh, our preeminent global power in the world, um, and uh, our religious heritage. So, um, so there's a lot there um, to celebrate. And I think that, I mean, a big a big burden that I felt in writing the book is, you know, a lot of times we are the stories we tell ourselves. So if the tell if the story we tell ourselves is, oh. We're falling apart. Everything's terrible. Look, you know, look how horrible everything is, and we'll act on that. But I wanted to, to propose a counter story to at least get us started in the book. David Kashi is our guest. Next topic, David Christians. Where are we in this country? Another question for you. <laughs> um, the uh, I think this is one of the most interesting questions uh, right now for Christians um, because. Uh, because we don't know what the answer to this is, um, and what I do in this chapter it was to was to kind of dig around and say there's a paradox here. Um, uh, Christians have a deep and uh, undeniable part of the heritage and formation and culture of the United States of America, and remain something like seventy percent of the population according to polls, um, and so in. In many ways, it's very true to say that we both were and are a Christian nation. Um, but in other ways, that's that's problematic because um, 
no no nation is Christian in the way that that an individual can be a Christian. No nation is a disciple of Jesus. No nation follows Jesus um, in any kind of way that you could you know not point out flaws. And our own nation has a history of a great deal of uh, sin in it, including slavery and and a lot of other things. So so um, wanting to celebrate the heritage, also acknowledge the diversity that has been there from the beginning, and have us not be too attracted to a, a story that says, hey, vote for me, I will make America a Christian nation again. There's there's uh, a lot of complexity to that and, and some things that are not so good about that. Now let's move to the next topic, democracy, a Christian way to govern? Again, a question mark? Yeah. Um, this chapter was motivated by a growing sense of frustration with the functioning, especially of our federal government. Um, you know, the approval rate of Congress prior to the last election was like lower than snakes and, and you know, uh, you know, cockroaches and stuff. So, so we have a lot of frustration at government gridlock and partisanship and the inability to get much done. Um, and so that's kind of a starting point to the chapter. But uh, what I do mainly in the chapter is to say that, you know, democracy was a relatively late arriver on the scene in terms of how human societies organize themselves, and that um, the main picture you get of governance in the New Testament is, um, uh, is you know, the government of the empire, and, and then you have the exhortation to respect um, governing authorities, uh, so which is so interesting. There's been so much debate about that. Um, and so it took a while for for Christian um, uh, influenced countries like in Europe and then in the U.S. to to come around to democracy as the preferred way to govern because it really was only there germinally in the Bible itself. But but I do uh, believe and do argue that that democracy reflects very keen Christian insights related to human nature. Um, and uh, and how a human community best works, and so so I come around in the end to say our democracy is a great achievement built over many centuries by some very smart people and sustained uh, over those centuries, and we should try to protect it and advance it. David, tell me about parties. Uh, what do we make of today's Democrats and Republicans? Uh, you do a whole section on that. Yeah. Um, I, I try to argue here that um, our two-party system is a historical accident. Uh, we haven't always had these two parties. It wasn't envisioned in the Constitution or by the founders. In fact, uh, they were explicitly worried about um, factionalism and partisanship. Um, and uh, and I talk about, you know, the other main democratic model that there is in the world is a parliamentary democracy with multiple parties. Um, and in some ways, I think that's preferable, like what they do in, in uh, Britain, though there, of course, you have the monarchy, too. But um, I talk about how the um, neither the Republican Party nor the Democratic Party can can be seen as having some kind of um, claim on uh, uh, divine truth or that their platforms somehow fully reflect God's will in any way. And so here I'm working against, you know, you have some Christians who are basically... Uh, all in for the Republican Party, and you have some Christians, uh, mainly uh, African Americans I'm thinking of here, who are all in for the Democratic Party, and I'm saying we need to have more independence than that. Now let's move to the next topic, fractures, you call it, mm-hmm. portrait of a divided country. Yeah, um, there's no question that we have a kind of brokenness uh, in our culture that... Um, that I I would say, I mean, and then I have various theories that have been proposed by different scholars as to how far back it goes, but at least to the 60s. And what we understand to be left versus right, liberal versus conservative, and the kind of issue clusters that we think of as reflecting conservative values versus liberal values has really been in place since at least the 60s, and some people would trace it back to the 50s. And... um What's scary right now is is you're seeing people completely uh, polarizing like magnets to one side or the other. So you have 
religious, political, cultural, moral conservatives all in a group, and then the same on the other side. So it's not messy enough. There's, uh, we're losing the middle. We're losing um, people who might be politically conservative but religiously liberal or religiously conservative and politically liberal or economically conservative and on social issues, liberal or whatever. We need... We need more crossover people and more complexity to reflect the actual complexity of our world. David Gashi is our guest. More with David right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Business owners and managers, do you strive to do business in a faithful and ethical manner? The Mockler Center for Faith and Ethics in the Workplace invites you to join Dr. Peter Heslam of the University of Oxford for a dinner event at the Citrus Club, downtown Orlando, Thursday, March 9th. Dr. Heslam will speak about freedom, faith, and flourishing in business. Don't miss this evening of food, fellowship, and commemorating 500 years of the Reformation. RSVP today, online at gordonconwell.edu slash Orlando Mockler Dinner. Presented by Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary of Jacksonville. Are you in pain after a recent fall or car accident? Hi, this is Dr. Esther Pichardo. If you're in pain right now, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. That will connect you to advanced physical medicine. After a car accident, your work, the insurance, the loss of your car, everything is a concern and your life changes in a matter of seconds. Material things can be replaced, but your health cannot be. If you're in pain right now, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. Even if the pain is not severe in the first few days after an accident, studies show that physical injuries can get worse with time. If you had an accident and you're still in pain, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. That will connect you to Advanced Physical Medicine with offices in Orlando, Hunters Creek, and Poinciana. Advanced Physical Medicine. If you are in pain, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are, why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God? You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. David Gashi's book is called A Letter to My Anxious Christian Friends. And, uh, David, the next topic I want you to talk about is simply called Judges. They didn't sign up for this. Uh, what, are, what are you writing about here? Um I start off that chapter by saying, pity the poor judges. We ask so much of them now. Um, and essentially, especially at, at the Supreme Court level, we're asking them to resolve our social fractures, resolve abortion, resolve religious liberty, resolve gay marriage. And and that's um, not, I'm quite sure that's not what the founders it, uh, expected. Um, and it puts an extraordinary amount of pressure on the Supreme Court, especially to to be, you know, those nine people who resolve all of our fights, and especially when these issues are five, four, four, five in their in their voting, and especially when they start clustering along Republican and, and Democratic lines, then then it starts to undermine confidence in in the fairness or really any reality to there being an impartial judicial process. So I'm basically arguing here that we need to try to resolve more of this in the legislative process and in our own communities, our own conversations uh, culturally, because we need if we keep loading this onto the judiciary, uh, in the end, it's not going to be good for us. Now let's move to the next topic that you write about, character, freedom under discipline. Uh, what's that mean, David? Um it's almost an unfashionable uh, topic, but basically the claim here, I start off by saying a government is only as good as its people, and um, and that the U.S. Uh, political order is based on uh, freedom, uh, you know, giving as much freedom as possible to people, 
having as limited a government as possible and trusting that people uh, will govern themselves most of the time pretty well. So you don't have to have, you know, a police officer on every corner. Um, but uh, that also, in the beginning, uh, relied on uh, broadly shared religious and moral values. And, um, and so my, my worry here is that freedom requires moral self-discipline. Otherwise, it becomes license, and often disastrous consequences follow. And I fear that our national character is eroding. And this, for example, the way that our, our families fall apart so readily and the way that we have so many problems with substances, substance abuse, and so on. And so this involves more and more government intervention to fix what we should have taken care of ourselves by being people of good character. Let's talk about patriotism. How should Christians love America, you ask? Yeah, um, patriotism is uh, a subject that um, that also began to divide left and right, perhaps as you might put it as far back as the um, as the '60s with the fight over the Vietnam War, um, so that the conservatives were patriotic and the liberals were uh, critical of government and of country. Um, and I say here that both of those are too simple. Um, and I try to say that patriotism is about, um, uh, identity, partly who are you and, uh, your, your sense of location in the world. And it's about service, a desire to serve the people and the community and the country in which we find ourselves. Um, but that for Christians, it is always under the lordship of Christ. Uh, we don't, we never have an uncritical patriotism. And just because somebody says this or that is a patriotic act, it all has to be tested against uh, our, our um, lordship, the lordship of Christ. What about race? One white Christian tries to figure it out. Um, as as we get deeper into the book, the issues begin to be. Uh, you might say, more controversial, uh, more painful. And, um, you know, people will disagree with me more, perhaps. But but basically, um, this is kind of a historical account. Um, and my basic claim is, as a white man, a white Christian man, I acknowledge in the chapter that, um, that, a, that the American story is a story of European settlers um, claiming this vast continent and um, either explicitly or implicitly claiming the right to rule and to dominate people who are not of European stock, and that included the African slaves and the Native Americans. And that for 300 and, you know, how was 1609 to 400 years, uh, we have been wrestling with untangling the knots that were created by by uh, our racial history that includes slavery, but then Jim Crow and and all everything that happened after that, and so and I'm convinced that that it's it's the structural evil. It's deep into our national marrow, and um, so deep that a lot of times it's hard to see the impact of it. So I'm calling on white Christians to take race seriously, to not believe that it has been left behind as a problem. Um, to listen to people of color as they tell about what their experience in this country is like, um, and to be agents of reconciliation and justice. Now we come to this topic. Police, has it always been this bad? Yeah, this chapter was written uh, during a time when um, when we were having, it seemed like, an, an incident with um, accusation of police misconduct or uh, overuse of force almost every week. And, you know, here, uh, again, you have to be so so careful and so try to be as fair as possible. But basically, um, I talk of first in this chapter that the role of the state is to keep order. It's, it's to, to deter the wrong, to, uh, to punish wrongdoers, and to protect the innocent. And so the the police are on the front lines of doing that work, and inevitably there will be mistakes. Um, but but they they don't need there need to not be very many of them, and they need they need to not be tied to bias. And um, 
I'm concerned about the overuse of force, and I'm concerned about that overuse of force being especially directed against uh, non-white people in the U.S. But one of the things that is related to this is um, the police themselves are scared when they're out there because a lot of the people that they stop are also armed. And so, um, and so there is a legitimate fear, but then if everybody's on a hair trigger, uh, you're going to have uh, an awful lot of mistakes and an awful lot of bloodshed that wasn't necessary. So, um, so this is part of what I'm doing in the chapter, and I do have some ideas related to um, taking, taking this issue seriously and, and getting a police and community to work together to reduce incidents uh, of the overuse of force. You call abortion the sad song that never ends. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, fill us in on that. Um, yeah, the, um, you know, I, I say basically in the chapter that that as, lo- as long as there have been men and women who are having sex outside of marriage, there has always been the risk of uh, pregnancy that um, that that then was disastrous for all people involved. So there's always been uh, efforts to uh, prevent that from happening. But then once you have the development of modern birth control, uh, you had a loosening of sexual morality so that people felt like, hey, you know, we've got the pill and we've got condoms and so so we can uh, we don't need to worry about confining sex to marriage because the, the, the worry about uh, pregnancy has been reduced. But but that turned out to be a, uh, an illusion, uh, and either people don't use birth control right or they don't use it at all, or nature just breaks through and overcomes birth control. And so I, I describe our current problem with abortion. It's a, it's a cultural problem. It's wired into our way of life. A lot of people having uh, sex that they shouldn't be having in relationships that are not steady or stable or committed, where having a baby is not what they want, and so we have come to rely on abortion as a part of our culture. And this is why, no matter who gets elected president, I think it's extremely unlikely that uh, the, the basic structure of access to abortion that we have will ever really be rolled back all that much because we have come to depend on it. And so the issue is, how do we stop depending on it? How do we get our act together in our relationships and with sexual responsibility so we don't have to depend on abortion as our uh, birth control of last resort? Aliens about who belongs here and who doesn't. Hot topic, right? Yeah. Um, so this is my discussion of of the immigration issue, and um, it's a complex issue because there's multiple uh, multiple issues involved. There's security issues. There's um, law enforcement. Like, do we have a law and are we going to enforce it? There's uh, what do you do about a 11 million population that is off the books? Uh, but here, how do you you know what do you do there? And and also, there's cultural worries on the part of people, especially who don't like um, the growing percentage of um, non-white, especially uh, illegal or undocumented immigrants. And you know, I, I'm not radical on the immigration issue. I, I support the comprehensive immigration reform that George W. Bush supported that that uh, has been supported, you know, since the 90s, um, you know, which was basically uh, passed a citizenship for at least those uh, immigrants uh, who are interested in that and who have not broken the law besides coming in illegally. And um, uh, assimilation into American culture and language uh, and and border uh, enhanced border security so that we stop having this massive uh, influx of people. And I wish that's what we were talking about now, um, but the conversation appears to have moved in a different direction. How about guns? Our most obvious sickness. Um, you know, I I, under, I I recognize here that I am not a sportsman when it comes to guns, and that there are plenty of people who are, and that it's a perfectly harmless hobby for a lot of people. Um, but, but, um, I believe that we have a profound problem with, um, criminals and mentally unstable people and depressed people and, uh, inadequately, uh, careful people, uh, and people who feel like doing mass killings because they're, they're sick or crazy or evil having, uh, having access to guns. Um, our, our gun violence 
levels are at third-world proportions. We look more like uh, Argentina, Mexico, and Panama than uh, our peer countries that we would like to be like. And so, you know, I argue for um, us to to compare ourselves to these other countries and ask what they are doing and move in that direction. This is this is a blind spot that is costing a lot of lives, and I think that Christians should, should look at it uh, in a fresh way. My guest is David Gashi. His book is called A Letter to My Anxious Christian Friends. Next topic, David, money beyond competitive selfishness. Yeah, um, economic ethics is always a hot topic in America, and um, and here I don't try to do too much in the chapter, but I basically say um, that uh, there's two fundamental Christian well, two fundamental models to think about economic life. One is um, uh, competitive, and the other is cooperative. And like in a lot of sections of society, we do cooperative economics, like in churches and in families, pooling our resources um, to do something good. But the overall structure of economic life is competitive, uh, this company against that company, um, and so on. And that in, in all and the competitive economies have the have their own dynamism and power and creativity, as we well know. But there are always a lot of uh, uh, people who can't compete, and a lot of uh, victims by the side of the road. And so here, I'm just asking uh, Christians to think about the victims by the side of the road, and to think about those aspects of economic life that could be humanized um, to deal with the the consequences of a raw competitive economy. David, give me 30 seconds in closing on education. Are all our children learning? Um, in a, basically, my argument here is that we are indeed failing a lot of our children, especially those who are in non-affluent communities, um, that every school needs to be a good school, and uh, every child needs to have a chance to have a great K-12 education, probably up to college now. Otherwise, they have very little shot at success. And so it's bad for them and bad for all of us. David Gushi has been our guest. The book, A Letter to My Anxious Christian Friends. Uh, Stay with us, folks. We've got more right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. It's long, over a thousand chapters, over 30,000 verses. No wonder so many of us have never read it cover to cover. Want to do it? Want to read the entire Bible? Start today at BibleStudyTools.com. BibleStudyTools.com includes Bible in a Year, an interactive plan for reading, learning, and understanding the Bible. Deepen your faith and impact your walk with God, one day at a time. Bible in a Year, just one of the new interactive Bible study tools at BibleStudyTools.com. I want to show you how you can be sure to retire with all the money you need. Hi, I'm Troy Peterson with Palmabella Consulting. You've played by the financial rules all your life. The problem is these rules are designed to make money for the banks and not for you. Well, now it's time to turn the table so you can be sure to have all the money you need to retire. I want to show you how. We use a proven method for certain growth and tax-free income. We use the same system many big banks use to fund their pension plans. Plus, I'll show you how to pay off your mortgage, credit cards, business loans, and medical debt in a fraction of the time of your current plan. You need to know more? And I want to show you how. Visit palmabella.com and schedule a free, no-obligation assessment today. It's simple, and I want to show you how. I want to show you how you can be sure you'll retire with all the money you need. Visit palmabella.com and schedule a free, no-obligation assessment today. I'm Troy Peterson, and I want to show you how you can be sure you'll retire with all the money you need. But you have to visit palmabella.com and get started today. Do you have enough drinking water at home or work? From meetings and special events to your company or family holiday get-together, be prepared with Carolina Highland Mountain Spring Water delivered directly to your home or business. Call now for their Be Prepared Delivery Special. Individual bottles, dispensers, and coolers. No contracts, no fees. Call 407-851-7144. Online at carolinabottledwater.com. 
You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. David Gashee, our guest in that first half hour, uh, talking about his book, A Letter to My Anxious Christian Friends. Uh, Karen Eamon joins me from uh, the Lansing, Michigan area, a writer for Encouragement for Today. Her, her new book is out. It's called Zip It. And Karen, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm great, Pat. Thanks for having me. What does zip it mean? What's the story here? (laughs) Well, two years ago, I wrote a book called Keep It Shut, and the subtitle to that is What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Say Nothing at All. And it was just a a regular book, but I saw so many people who read that book and did the corresponding Bible study reach out to me and say, oh, you know, this was good. I was very convicted. Oh, my goodness, there's so much the Bible says about our words. Now give me some more practical. Give me some more things to actually go do. So um, my publisher and I decided to come out with a follow-up product to keep it shut, and it's called Zip It, and it's a 40-day challenge, kind of based on the different topics that were covered in Keep It Shut. And so it leads people through 40 different passages of the Bible and gives them a little taste of uh, the, the story that's there in the Bible, maybe a little story from my life to kind of correspond with it. And then some takeaway points and a challenge of the day and a prayer prompt. And it's a little bit interactive. There's space to write down um, your thoughts and such. And just hopes that people will take some of these truths of Scripture that talk about how we are and are not to use our words and really flesh them out in daily life. Day one, a matter of life and death. Uh, What are you writing about there, Karen? We know Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love of it or love it, will eat of its fruits. And so if we love death, we're going to reap the fruits of death. And if we love life, we're going to reap the fruits of life with our tongue. And I just know this verse has really been something in my life that I've seen the power of both, and the truth of, both in things that were said to me in the past and words that I have spoken to people. I can think back in my life to, to people who said something that really stuck with me in a bad way. It really wounded my spirit or, um, you know, damaged um, my emotions because something that they said, it like stuck. It stuck to my brain and it made me think a certain way about myself, whether the thing they said to me was true or not. And yet, conversely, I can think of things that people said to me in the past that were very heartening and encouraged me and really stuck to my, my heart and my mind in a way that made me feel that people believed in me. And so I think it's so true that the words we speak can either impart life to other people or they can bring a death blow. And so I, in this um, entry, I just really wanted to drive home the power that we have of our, with our words because words are, are powerful and they have consequences. And we don't always think of that when we're saying them. Sometimes we just you know, speak off the cuff, uh, have a, a knee-jerk response, and we say something and we really don't realize that they have consequences, the words that we speak, and it it can have negative consequences, or if we choose our words wisely, they can bring life and have positive consequences for years to come. Karen Eamon, our guest. Next topic, Karen, the great know-it-all. What does that mean? (laughs) I tell a little story about a fun little game my husband and I used to play when he was a youth pastor with our youth group. It was... uh, thing we did often, they used to beg us to do it, where one of the kids would go out of the room and a, a different youth group member that was still in the room would pick an object in the room. And um, when, actually, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. My husband would go out of the room and then somebody from the youth group would pick an object. When he came back in, we would have one of the members of the youth group go around and point at different objects in the room. And my husband could always guess what one the person had picked and we always just called it the great know-it-all. There was a little trick to it. We never told him the secret, but it was just kind of a fun little thing. It made it look like he knew it all. He knew exactly what that person was going to pick. Well, you know, in the Bible, it tells us in Psalm 139.4 that before a word is on our tongue, God knows it completely. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're going to say. And even though sometimes I think we think about words that come out of our mouth and, oh, we regret it, we need to think about the words that we're thinking, too, because God sees it, and he knows it all. He is the great know-it-all. And long before our words ever leave our lips, 
they form in our, our minds and our hearts. They can, again, impart life or death. And so we need to remember that God sees exactly and knows exactly what we're, we're thinking. So we need to maybe learn to ponder a little bit more the pure things in life, the, the pure words that we are going to speak that will be something that is beneficial to the people hearing rather than detrimental. And I just think for me, just knowing that God knows it all and even um, that thought sometimes has saved me from saying something that I w- was about to, to say that would cause me regret and maybe wound another person. Karen, tell us now about shutting down the motor mouth. <laughs> well, you know, it's not just sometimes the words that we say, it's how many words we say. You know, um, Proverbs tells us that where there are many words, sin is not absent. Um, some versions say um, offense is unavoidable and transgression is unavoidable, but the person who controls their lips is wise. And so I, um, one time, when I talk about the motor mouth, I, I uh, was in my house and I heard this horrible sound. I did not know what was happening, and um, every time I tried to go to the basement to see what the sound was, it was it was gone. I tried to describe it to my husband, and he didn't know what I was talking about, but finally, one day he was home, so he quick-dashed in the basement, and we discovered that something um, was going wrong with the, the, not just the sump pump, but the, the one that pumps the sewage out of our house, and if he had not caught this problem and had it fixed, it could have made a mighty mess, because it just kept running and running and running. It was about ready to burn out. Well, you know, it was just a couple of days later, I had some issue with my mouth because that's why I write on these things, Pat. It's not because I've, I've uh, accomplished and, and conquered all of these things. It's because I'm kind of writing to myself, too, because this has been a great struggle in my life. I've seen a lot of progress, and it's gotten better, but I still struggle. And right after this contraption was being so loud in our basement and the repairman assured us that it could have been a mighty mess. I, again, did something with my mouth in speaking to my husband. I just, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I kept going, and my many words caused me to sin. And I thought, what a great illustration that is, that when we keep running at the mouth, we could (laughs) malfunction and make a mighty mess, too. And so that's what that day's entry is about, is just shutting down our mouth when we we know, you know, sometimes we, we can sense that we should start um, backing off and slowing down, and we, we know it in our heart, we know it in our mind, but for some reason our mouth just keeps mumbling and we keep spewing out words, and the, the more we talk, sometimes the more trouble we get into. So not just thinking about what words come out of our mouth, but I also want people just to think about how many, because sometimes that's the problem, is if we just stopped several sentences or paragraphs earlier, we wouldn't find ourselves in such a mess. Karen, what does this mean? On cherry slushies and refreshing springs. (laughs) Well, you know, in the book of James, we read that out of the same mouth sometimes come praise and cursing both. But it says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? And this just talks a lot about the tongue and how it's full of poison. Sometimes we praise God with our tongue, and then we turn right around and we we curse somebody who's been made in God's likeness. And the cherry slushies and refreshing springs has to do with my uh, youngest son. He's a football player. He just graduated high school, and our team won the state championship. Go Yellow Jackets. But when he was in these days of football training, long before he could drive when he was in middle school and early high school, I often was the mom designated to take the kids back and forth to football practice, and they had two-a-day practices in the hot Michigan summer, and often the boys would beg me to swing by a local gas station so they could make a slushy. And, you know, when they would walk to the slushy machine, if they pulled out cherry, that's what would, would come out was a cherry slushy. If they pulled out cola and pulled that lever, out would flow the cola slushy. You know, they what was inside was what was going to flow out. You wouldn't pull the cherry one and expect something different to come out. Exactly what was in it was what was going to come out. Now, there was one boy who liked to mix a whole bunch of the flavors together. He called it swamp water. But pretty much whatever spigot they pulled, what was in there flowed out. And that's what I kind of feel like that passes in, in James, um, you know, warns us of. He says, you know, out of the same mouth come both praising and cursing, and this shouldn't be, you know, we should not be 
going back and forth, back and forth with these two different opposite extremes of speech, what's inside needs to flow out and we need to make sure that what is flowing out is good and edifying and, um, you know, things that are going to not be something that we regret. Um, even though James says the tongue can't be tamed, it says no man can tame the tongue. I do feel that we can learn to temper our tongue when we really think about that passage and how, you know, we're told we're not supposed to have both of these things coming out of our mouth. We need to, to choose to say the things that are edifying and that are lovely rather than, you know, making our own swamp water, I guess I want to say, um, by mixing in the evil that sometimes flows out of our mouths. Now, Karen, uh, my guest is Karen Eamon from uh, the Lansing, Michigan area. Weight control, you do a segment on that. Uh, what's that have to do with Zip It? Well, it's not weight control as in uh, let's stop eating donuts and, <laughs> and lose a little weight. But I um, used the verse in this entry from Proverbs fifteen twenty eight that says the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. And so the concept behind this is we really need to learn to weigh our words before they leave our mouth. We don't want to just be gushing evil. We want to be making sure that what we say has been, you know, filtered through our minds in a way where we're asking ourselves, does this really line up with Scripture? Is this going to be something that I'm going to regret later, or is this going to be the right and fitting word for the situation. And I um, just, just thought about this when I was at a farmer's market. You know, I try to get the exact right amount um, of apples for my pie that I make, my famous apple pie my mom taught me to make. And, and so I know that it, it takes three pounds of apples. So I keep putting them on and taking them off to get the right combination because um, I like them really nice and big, the slices in my, my pie. And I'm just really careful to weigh those out before I choose them because I want the final product to be something I'm proud of. And I think that's the same with our words. We need to be weighing back and forth in our mind rather than just letting our words come out without any thought at all, without really pondering what it is we say, but just, I don't know, maybe people um, can relate that, that have trouble with their words too. Sometimes I don't think I'm a think before I speak. I kind of speak before I think and then, I think the more, oh, I shouldn't have said that, you know. But I think if we can really weigh our words and ask the Lord, you know, is this something I should say? Or to maybe think, you know, especially about the person that we are talking to. Sometimes I know my mouth has gotten me in trouble, not necessarily because what I said, like the actual phrases I said, but I wasn't really thinking about the specific person that I was talking to, and they took it wrong or Maybe um, they had a sensitivity in an area I, I was aware of, but I wasn't thinking that, you know, especially I think sometimes with our really close friends and family members, we can say things in a way where they know we're joking, but with someone else, they might totally misinterpret our harmless jokes and be offended by it. So if we can really learn to just weigh our words, to be thinking not only what, about what we're saying, but who we're saying it to, it can help us to have a good final outcome as well. You get into a whole different section here, the heart-mind-mouth connection, and you open up talking about sleep talking and daytime words. Uh, what does that mean, Karen? Well, you know, when we sleep and have dreams, um, and then we wake up the next day and we remember them, well, sometimes we do. I don't always remember them. Sometimes I think, I know I had a funny dream or a crazy dream, but I can't really remember it. Um, sometimes what comes to us in our sleep is something that then later, you know, we're talking about um, the next day. And when we really try to make sure that, that what we're pondering in the quiet is um, something that's going to be you know, again, I know I talk a lot about causing regret, but I really think that's a big crux of our, our words is, is not only does it harm other people, but sometimes it causes regret. But when we um, really think about the good things in the quiet times and um, then when we are interacting with other people in the more public times, we can make sure that it's God's word that we're filling our minds with. My guest is Karen Eman. We've got more with Karen. 
talking about her book, Zip It, right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. A CNN original series. Stop doubting and believe. An epic saga from the dawn of history. Behold the man. A miraculous journey that changed the world. I will lay down my life for you. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. The greatest story ever told. I believe you are the son of God. Finding Jesus. New season starts tonight at 9 Eastern and Pacific on CNN. Have you ever thought how you will be remembered when God calls you home? Death is a reality we all face but do not want to think about. American Family Funerals and Cremations can guide you in preparing for such a time and allow your family to celebrate your life. Hi, I'm Alan Treba, owner and licensed funeral director. We are a local family-owned funeral home in Central Florida that works as a ministry of caring. Take the stress off your loved ones and allow our family to take care of your family. American Family is becoming the source in the Christian community for funeral services, as we are mostly referred by pastors and churches. Those who know us know how we care for people, know how we put God first in everything we do, and know how we make every effort to help you in these times. Allow our family at American Family Funerals and Cremations to show you what makes us different. Call 407-339-0070. Again, 407-339-0070. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Karen Eamon is our guest from uh, Central Michigan. We're talking about her book, Zip It. Uh, Karen, explain this one. Your heart thoughts are louder than you realize. Uh, What does that mean? Well, even the, the things that we think and ponder in our heart are seen by God. Mm-hmm. Jesus, when he was with his disciples, often I think it's interesting where um, Scripture will say that he'll start to speak to them about something that they weren't even talking about. They were just thinking in their minds and pondering in their hearts. And it's very important that we know that those thoughts that we have inside of our heart, they they have this really weird and uh, sometimes destructive pattern that happens to them, you know, we think in our mind about something or somebody, maybe we form a negative thought about them, then it kind of migrates down to our heart, and we ponder it in our heart, sometimes we stew about it a little bit, maybe it picks up a little bitterness, or a little sarcasm, or something like that, and then before we know it, we're interacting with somebody in a way where our words aren't pleasing, and it all started with our thoughts, you know, it wasn't just one day we open our mouth and these words came out, but it really followed that pattern that we thought about it, we let it lodge in our heart, and then out it comes into our mind. And so this whole day in the, the book just talks about how God, you know, he sees us, he hears our, our, our thoughts, he knows what we're, we're thinking before we even say it. And, you know, what if Jesus were to turn to us and, and turn to us and look at us right now, you know, what would he find us saying in our minds, in our hearts, about not only other people, but about ourselves. What what thoughts do we have about ourselves that aren't in line with Scripture? It's important to know that, that He's there and, and He sees those things, and perhaps that will help us to, to really think through that process of the thinking, the lodging in your heart, and the coming out of your mouth, and, and make it more in line with Scripture. If we recall that, that just like with those disciples, He knows what, what we're pondering, even if we aren't letting those words come out of our mouth. What are mouth-shut prayers that you write about? 
these are the prayers that, that we just pray secretly in our heart. It's not maybe that we're even sharing some of these with other people in our circle of friends and our, our church friends and, and those who we know will will pray for us, but sometimes we just need to go quietly into our prayer closet, as we see in Scripture, and just keep our mouths shut to other people, but just ponder in our, our own prayer closet those things that are heavy on our heart. And one thing that I um, find that really helps is to not only record these things so we remember them, but also to, to just silly as it sounds, to set an alarm on my phone. Sometimes I have these crazy alarms that go off and my kids will say, Mom, your phone's ringing again. Well, it's reminding me to pray about that, that really serious prayer request that I have that I really maybe not shared with a lot of people, but it's, it might be something personal or it might be something that someone else has asked me to, to keep quiet and to not share with other people. But I can still, you know, keep my mouth mouth shut, but but pray in my heart in that secret place that God sees and He knows and and He cares deeply about. And so that's kind of what that day is all about. Now uh, I want you to move into this one, Karen. Building your word robe. <laughs> uh, what what yeah. is that? What's that? Little play on words. Instead of a wardrobe, where you know we've carefully selected the things that are in our closet. Um, we know what's in there, and we go in the morning, and we pull out an outfit we, we hope is going to look okay as we go off to our day. We also, we build a wardrobe. We have these things that we have pondered and, and put into our minds that when it's time to talk, we kind of, as we go over to a closet to pull out something to put on, we go into our heart closet, and we pull out these these phrases and these thoughts, and we put them on. And so we need to be making sure that the things that we are storing away are good things. You know, um, Scripture talks a lot about the, the words that come out of our mouth. They're already in there, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we need to be careful, just as we are when we select clothes, we, that we want to look right on us. We want them to fit us right and be a color that's flattering. We need to think about that when we're building our language, our wardrobe. We need to pick phrases and um, pick words that are going to be flattering and lovely rather than things that don't fit. And I even think, too, to sometimes have some go-to phrases in our mind for when we are dealing with people in difficult situations. For example, I just had this happen um, with someone in my family not too long ago, you know, often this particular family member and I, we don't see eye to eye on things. And so what I've done in the past, which has not been good, is to kind of be accusatory and maybe even say things like, well, you always and you never, and try to get my point of view across without really listening to them. And I also do it a little bit in a, in a defensive way. So if I can learn to use this phrase that I keep in my wardrobe, Help me to understand and start out a conversation that way. It goes so much better. Rather than being accusatory and being historical, not hysterical, but historical, bringing up things from the past and saying, you always do this and you never do that, and here we go again. If I can come from a place of humility and of grace, kind of kind of zipping my lips and not really saying what I want to let loose and say, but starting off the conversation with, can you help me to understand and then describe the situation? It, it just somehow diffuses the anger in the situation. And so having that little phrase, help me to understand, in my wardrobe, which is really a wardrobe, my wardrobe of words, can really help to make my relationships not those um, that are going to be volatile, but can help to, to fuse any anger that I might have, you know, from interactions in the past. And so I think really thinking through some go-to phrases for us to help us to explain our things, because we want to explain things truthfully and, and get our point across, but we don't want to do it in a way that's condescending or that's, that's at all picking a fight. <laughs> but if we learn to use some of these phrases in our wardrobe, wardrobe, then I think it's, it's something that, at least for me, I've found can make my relationships go smoother. Karen Eamon is our guest, uh, writer for Encouragement for Today. Her book is called Zip It. 
How about this word uh, you write about? R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I think that spells respect, Karen. And you do a whole day on that, day 11. Uh, What are you telling us? Well, God's Word says that we are to respect everyone. And uh, we are told that in uh, 1 Peter 2. And I learned a lesson about this when I went to my local middle school, when my my son, he's now graduated, but back when he was in the 8th grade, every once in a while I would get a call from the school. He's quite a a prankster and practical joker, and sometimes his jokes went a little too far. And this particular day I had been summoned to the school to talk to the vice principal about another one of his pranks that he thought was completely hilarious, but which the substitute teacher found no humor in. And we dealt with it. Um, My son was called down the office. Everything, you know, was over and done with. And I was headed back out to my car when I heard someone saying, Mrs. Zeman, Mrs. Zeman, hello, hello. And I turned around and it was the woman that worked in the cafeteria, and I thought, oh, no, now what's going on? Has he misbehaved in the cafeteria as well? But instead, she wanted to stop me, and um, she said, I just want to let you know that your son is so respectful. He always says ma'am to me and please and thank you, and he calls the custodian, sir, you have raised such a fine and respectful son. And, oh, my goodness, it was like a balm to this mom's heart because I thought she was going to tell me something he'd done wrong. But that was something that we really tried to instill in our kids is to speak respectfully and call people sir and ma'am. And as I thought about that that day, you know, I thought about the fact that even the principal had told me, you know, yeah, your son got busted for another prank, but I'll tell you, he is the most polite kid that's ever gotten in trouble this school. at this school because he did have these words in his language. Now, he has faults in other areas, obviously, as we all do, but respect is something I just feel is lost in our culture. Karen Eman has been our guest, folks. The book is called Zip It, and we've got a wrap-up right after this, so stay with us. On the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. Uh, In that first segment here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, David Gushi was with us uh, talking about his book, A Letter to My Anxious Christian Friends. And then Karen Eman joined us from the Lansing, Michigan area. And we talked about her book, Zip It. Uh, Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. And um, I have a new book out. It's simply called The Success Intersection. It's about where your greatest talent intersects with your greatest passion. And uh, that's what I like to call the sweet spot of your life. And That's where you want to hang. That's where you want to spend your time, right there in that sweet spot. Uh, uh, The book is in bookstores and up on Amazon as well. Uh, We're back next week for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time, where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.